Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers Podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we want 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to be your favorite place to go to enjoy a great mix of vintage detective shows from the golden age of radio. The scripts were great, the action was hot, and even the old commercials are enjoyable. And now, another episode of 1001 Radio Crime Solvers is ready to go. Enjoy! In this case, most of the principals were out on bail. It put me out on a limb. This is another in the adventures of America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar, starring Charles Russell. At insurance investigation, Johnny Dollar is just an expert. At making out his expense account, he's an absolute genius. Expense accounts submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Max Kraus, Kraus Bail Bond and Insurance Agency, New York City, New York. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during my investigation of two of your clients, or witness, witness, who's got the witness? Or, he said, give me liberty or give me death, and got both. Expense account, item one. One dollar, one cigar, to replace the asphyxiating stogie you were smoking when you arrived unannounced at my Hartford apartment door. My name is Max Kraus. Here's my card. Kraus Bail Bond Insurance Agency, State, Federal, and Immigration. All forms of surety bonds and insurance. Got it? <coughs> yeah, I got it. Oh, well, I got a job for you to the tune of saving me $50,000. <coughs> okay, okay, you can come in. Uh. But you'll have to tie up that cigar outside. Okay. Here, better yet, give it to me. Hey, hey. Thanks. Come on in. Hey, what's the idea of throwing it out the window? That was an expensive cigar. Oh, can you think of a better way to get rid of it? It was killing me. Here, have one of these. Hmm. Oh. Wow. Well, not the quality I'm used to, you understand, but much obliged. Forget it. They were a gift. Maybe I won't even charge you for it, if I go to work for you. 
Well, shall we find out if I will or not? Oh. Sit down. Um, what do you know about Leo Persina? <laughs> Just what I read in the paper. Did you put up his bail? I wish I had. Well, the bonds I put up were for two prosecution witnesses. Know what I mean? Yeah. And they either took a run out, jumped from one of the bridges, or some of Leo's men put them out of the way. Get me? Uh, vaguely. They're gone. Yeah, that's right. And unless I can prove they're dead or find them, you understand, before the trial, which is a week from today, I forfeit the 50000 25 apiece. Seem a problem? Yeah. Tell me something, Mr. Krauss. Why don't you come to me? I'll tell you why. To the police, these witnesses are only two names on a long list of missing persons. You up with me? Uh-huh, yeah. Now, and as for private detectives, I could never be sure that one wouldn't make a deal with Persino and make more money not finding them than I'd be paying to find them. Get the point? Yeah. Well, uh, what makes you think you can trust me? Oh, well... You were mentioned by one of the insurance companies I sell for. They tell me that you're straight, except for padding your expenses here and there. Hmm? Hey, now, that's an insult. Ah, what's a little padding? <laughs> I used to do the same with my old man when I was in grade school. That's kid stuff. You'll find out. Okay. I said uh, I'll find out what I can. Who are these lost, straight, or stolen witnesses? <clears throat> Nippy Cochran is one... Real name is Glenn, you hear? Glenn. Yeah. The other is Dan Patterson. I got their addresses next to Ken, you know what I mean? What else do you need? A big fat retainer, about 2,500 bucks. Ah, that's pretty steep. I've only got a grand with me. It just so happens that I'm a grand person to do business with, Mr. Krause. I'll take the thousand. Expense account, item two. 345, train fare, Hartford to New York. A high wind and I hit the big city at the same time, 4 p.m. to be exact. So I set storm canvas and tanked crosstown toward 81st between Madison and 5th. One of the bits of information that had come with that $1,000 bit of paper was the fact that one of the missing witnesses, Nippy Cochran, had a sister. Stage name, Mona Doyle. She'd been born in Hell's Kitchen, and she'd worked out her own little recipe, consisting of brains, beauty, and cheesecake, to cook up her own version of heaven on earth, including angels, Broadway type. When I hove to in front of her 81st Street brownstone, a delivery boy was buzzing his way into the building. Not wishing to argue with Mona over the intercom system on the buzzer panel... I waited for the boy to come out. Caught the door before it closed. Thanks, bub. Went in and up to a second floor apartment. Yes? Who is it? Uh, my name is Dollar. You don't know me, but uh, I have some news about your brother. Oh? Thanks. What's this news you have about Nippy? Oh, well, the uh, guy who put up bail for him, Max Krause, has hired an insurance investigator to look for him. Oh? Well, what am I supposed to do about that? Ask me to sit down. I'm the investigator. Well, you're awfully clever, aren't you? No, I hire a couple of radio writers to work these things out for me. Well, please do sit down. Thank you. Uh, why did you do it this way? think I'd let you in if I knew what you were? Well, lots of people are allergic to what I am. Well, I'm not. That helps. Do you know where your brother is, Miss Doyle? No. 
Now, uh, could I fix you a drink? Does that mean that this is the end of our little discussion? Mr. Dollar, I don't know where Nippy is, believe that or not. I haven't seen much of him in the last few years. He doesn't approve of me, and I don't approve of him. But that doesn't make any difference. What does is that if I did know where you could find him, I wouldn't tell you. I don't hate him enough to kill him that way. That way? Are you holding out for a choice? Hey, that was a nasty thing to say. Well, that slap you handed me ought to make us even. I'm sorry. Don't you know what would happen if you found Nippy and brought him back? Oh, I've heard that Leo Porcina has some quaint habits with people he doesn't want around. Something about wrapping their feet in a concrete block and lowering them into any handy river. Uh, but the law will give him protection until after the trial. What difference would that make? Even if Leo were convicted, don't you think he'd leave orders behind to take care of Nippy? Well, that could probably be worked out, too. Well, look, I wasn't hired to worry about that. I was hired to find your brother so my client won't lose his money. Well... Oh, this is a lousy way for two people to meet, isn't it? I wish it were different. What's that supposed to mean? I'd... I'd like to ask you again to have a drink with me. That wind has my nerves jumping. And you haven't helped. Be a good guy, won't you? With what she had to back up that invitation, I defy any guy, good or bad, to come up with anything but an acceptance. Unless he was crowded 70, and had a car double parked outside, and was married to a suspicious wife who was waiting in the car. So, I stayed, and we learned to know one another. Twenty minutes later, we were close friends. I knew it had to end. And it did. The door buzzer sounded, and Mona bounded over to the little button that controlled the lock on the downstairs entrance. Don't be shocked, Johnny. I brush off a lot of my admirers this way. The only thing I admire about you is the act you put on. It's a good one. I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. There was one thing I forgot to tell you about my brother. I can hardly wait. I'm all ears. He gave me everything I have. Without him, I'd have none of all this. Is it Nippy who's on his way up here? That isn't what I mean. All Nippy did was introduce me to... Leo Porcina, that's who's on his way up. Oh, yeah. Well, blood may be thicker than water, but where you're concerned, it isn't thicker than champagne with ermine on the side. Hi, Leo. Come on in and see what's on you. Well, what do you know about this? Who's he? Johnny Dollar, an insurance investigator hired by Krauss to find Nippy. Well, it's interesting. Yes, it is. Oh, boy. What are you going to say for yourself? Matter Harry there said everything there is to say. Except that I'm also looking for the other missing witness, Dan Patterson. Yeah, yeah, I assume that. Very apt, Mr. Dollar, that we should meet this way. Two men interested in the same uh, subject. The subject was more interesting before you came in. I'll ignore that natural. What I meant was that I, too, am quite anxious to find Nippy and Patty. Oh, can I mix you a drink, Leo? No, no, leave us alone, Mona. Go in the bedroom. All right, Leo. And close the door, please. Now, uh, man to man, Dollar, how do you propose to go about finding Nippy and Patty? <laughs> what would you suggest, Porcina? Dragging the rivers? Now, see here, Dollar, there's no need to take such a uh, pessimistic view. I realize that an unfriendly press has endowed me with a reputation for violence, but uh, I don't deserve it. I hope you aren't bucking to be canonized. <laughs> <laughs> That's a picture, isn't it? 
Saint Leo Porcina. <laughs> Saint. <laughs> Quite a sense of humor, Dollar. But my motives are honorable. I'm not afraid of the testimony of those two men. I want them back because their disappearance makes it look bad for me. It's the kind of thing that sways public opinion. <laughs> I got nothing against them. I'll believe that when I see the three of you enjoying a nice, friendly game of billiards. Well, have it your own way. I thought we could form a combination, you and me, to find the boys. But a combination's no good if I trust you and you don't trust me. Go ahead, Dollar. Bullet through alone. And good luck to you. Thanks, Leo. I've enjoyed your pack of lies no end. So I put on my top coat, picked up my hat, and left. He didn't shoot me while I was on the stairs, so by the time I felt the sidewalk underfoot, I also felt fairly safe. But not for long. The chauffeur in a limousine parked at the curb took off his uniform cap and put on a hat with an eye-hiding brim. I looked up at the lighted window of Mona Doyle's apartment and saw Leo's figure just slipping out of sight. As I started down the street, the chauffeur was no longer a chauffeur. At a signal from Leo, he had turned into a man who was following me. I grabbed a cab on Madison, and by the time our zigzag trip to Patterson's address was over, I felt reasonably sure that I was no longer being followed. The hall was like a mine shaft and smelled worse. Four doors down on the right, I found the number of Patterson's apartment. Come on in. The man who bid me enter was still wearing the hat with the eye-hiding brim. But something new had been added to his right hand, 45 caliber. Leo Porcina's chauffeur hadn't followed me to Patterson's address. He beat me there. Close the door. I don't like to ask foolish questions, but what are you doing here? I live here. Or I did. Oh, Patterson. Oh, great. I'm looking for you, and the way I do it is to try and get away from you. Look, take the little of your right hand, will you? I want to talk to you. Sure, but not here. Let's go someplace. For me, that someplace was out. But before I got there, I had time to pass myself a question. What better place for a missing witness to hide than the employee of the guy he was supposed to testify against? Then I found a hiding place of my own. It was nice and dark, but the only person I was hiding from was me, Johnny Dollar. America's fabulous insurance investigator. Fabulous indeed. In just a moment, we will return to the second act of Johnny Dollar. But first, a battle to the finish, a no-holds-barred as far as words and opinions are concerned. That's only one of the entertaining elements of People's Platform, a Sunday daytime feature on most of these same CBS stations. Attack and defense and attack again. Politicians, labor leaders, statesmen, farm leaders, men and women from all walks of life find themselves going from the frying pan into the fire many times in each Sunday half-hour session. You'll enjoy People's Platform every Sunday on CBS. Now, with our star, Charles Russell, we return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Hey, 
my brain started the trip back from unconsciousness. I thought at first I had passed out in one of the tunnels. The air, what there was of it, was thick with the smell of burned gasoline. It was still dark, and it seemed like cars were going past me without headlights. Then I noticed that the tunnel was moving. It took me a long time to figure out that meant it wasn't a tunnel. It was a car, and I was on the floor in the back seat with a blanket covering me. It took two hands and all my strength, but I managed to lift the blanket away from my face. The first thing I saw was one of those old-fashioned speaking tubes that sometimes are used between a limousine's rear and driver's seat. It was hanging down, the mouthpiece a few inches from my head. But what was coming out of it was not noise, but that smell of burned gasoline, carbon monoxide. I didn't have to try them to know that all the doors were locked from the outside and that all the glass was unbreakable. From there, it took me only one short mental step to realize that speaking tube was connected to the exhaust pipe, and I was in the process of being executed in laughing Leo Porcina's private gas chamber. There's nothing so exhilarating as being slapped in the face with death. I wrestled a handkerchief out of my breast pocket, twisted it up into a stopper, jammed it into the tube, and clamped my hand over the mouthpiece. It didn't help the air any, but at least it wasn't getting any worse. Then I settled back to wait, trying not to breathe. Chauffeur, leg man, executioner, Dan Patterson. Opened the rear door. When we came to a stop, waited a few seconds for the wind to clear out the fumes, then reached in, grabbed me under the shoulders, and dragged me out. I managed to stay limp until we got a few yards off the road and into, into the brush. Then I dug my heels in and heaved. It was surprise more than strength that toppled him, but it was no time for niceties. I picked up a handy rock and bashed him one on the head. Oh, come on, Danny boy. Get with it. You'll catch your death of coal lying on this damp ground. Oh, dollar. Yeah, dollar, which probably makes you feel like two cents. Listen, I couldn't help what I did. But Leo, it's either do what he tells you to or get it done to you. Oh, save that pitch for the jury, will you? I want some answers. First, where are we? In New Jersey, about 40 minutes out from the city. Listen, give me a break. I'll, I'll help you all I can. I ought to break your head. Uh, and save your time and effort. There's nothing in that shoulder holster your hand is moving for. I've got it. Now, do I use it or do you tell me where Nippy Cochran is? I don't know. I swear I don't. You've got to believe that. If I knew, I'd sell the information to Leo for plenty. He wants him bad. Yeah, dream boy. I'll just bet you would. Okay, get up. Uh, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What, what are you going to do? I was hired to find you, and I found you. And now I'm going to put you away where you'll keep. Come on, get up. Listen, maybe I do know where Nippy is. Why don't you and me? Patterson, I'll have to stop you. I didn't want to fire, but I had to, and fast in the darkness. Aim was next to impossible, but I shot low. I guess it takes more lead than I threw into him to kill a guy who's so full of mental poison. Patterson was alive when I got to him, and alive and conscious when I left him in the hands of the nearest police doctor. Score? One up. One witness found, and one still missing. Expense account? Item four. Fifty cents. Toll paid to get Leo Porcina's lethal limousine across the George Washington Bridge and back into New York City. Expense account item five, five cents. 
phone call soon after I got there. Yes? This is Dollar. Let me speak to Leo. Oh, Johnny. Yeah, sorry to disappoint you, but I'm alive and almost well. Johnny, I don't know what you mean, and I don't care what you think of me. you got to help me. With what? Nailing my casket together? Nippy's in town. He, he killed Leo. Oh? Well, if it's true, that's a switch. All over the country, defendants are knocking off witnesses, but when I show up, the witness knocks off the defendant. I repeat, if true. It is true. I was with Leo. We, we went from here to his apartment. Nippy came in with a knife, and you got to help me. I don't know what to do. Well, it's generally a good idea to call the police. Did you? Are you crazy? Probably. Where is Leo's apartment? Do you have to go over there? Well, why not? All right. Pick me up here. I'll take you over. Goodbye. Whether she was asking me or telling me, she was right. I must be crazy. I gave myself ten to one odds that my journey would end in a trap. But I've been wrong before. Leo Porcina was in his apartment, all right, ungracefully spread out on the floor in front of a not-quite-clean white leather chair. There he is. What are you going to do? Knife wound, left side of chest. No signs of struggle. Where were you? I was in the other room. You didn't see it happen? No, I, I hardly heard anything. I, I didn't even hear Nippy come in. The, the radio was on. I, I heard a mumble of voices that didn't mean anything. And then Leo screamed, Nippy. And I ran in then, and Leo was just falling, and Nippy was watching him go down. I, I wish I knew whether you were bawling because you're grief-stricken or because you're scared. I wish I knew a lot of things about you. Now, come on. Let's go back to your place. And maybe I can find out. Here you are. Johnny Walker for Johnny Dollar. Oh, thanks. Would you also say it's Johnny on the spot? I don't know why I thought I had the right to ask you to help me. Well, I didn't have anyone else to turn into. Oh, you ought to improve your dialogue. I'm not trying to be clever, Johnny. I'm petrified. Nippy knows I saw him. I, I'm the only one that saw him. If, if you could just stay with me until I could get out of town or until this... until this is cleared up. If I could keep my eyes closed, I'd say you weren't worth it. What you're trying to tell me is that you're afraid Nippy will show up with his dandy little carving set and go to work on you. Is that it? For... It's an awful thing to say about my own brother, but that's right. I'm afraid he'll kill me. He hates me. He blamed me when Leo kicked him out of the combination. Was he right? Of course not. But I couldn't make him believe me. He swore he'd pay us off. He did. He sold the information that got Leo indicted, and now he's killed him. You know, that's an interesting point, that he'd go to all the trouble to turn state's witness against Leo and then kill him. Why would he do that? To... I don't know. What you started to say was to make it look as though you killed him, wasn't it? Yes. He'd do anything to hurt me. Johnny, if you only knew... Hold it, hold it. Never mind the dust in my eyes, gorgeous. To frame you, Nippy would have to supply you with a motive. Unless you already had one kicking around someplace. And your silence says you probably have. Johnny... Leo was nailed on tax evasion because it turned out that he had undeclared income deposited in various banks under various people's names. How much is in your account? This much. Not very. It doesn't take a wizard to add two and two and come up with a motive. 
With Leo out of the way, there's very little chance that you'll be dragged into court as an accomplice. And I'll mention in passing the bank balance you didn't deny having. I, I know it looks bad, Johnny. Please put your drink down. Well, why not? It's empty. I know it looks bad. I, I'd be in big trouble if the police found out about the account. But do they have to, Johnny? According to all the rules, yeah. I didn't kill him, Johnny. You've got to believe that. I'd like to. You've got to, darling. Don't you think it'd be worth it? There's the money. And there's me. Darling. Oh, Johnny. Get away from me! Johnny, what's wrong? In this case, everything. I've been slugged and gassed. I had to shoot a man. I missed my dinner. But the worst of all is you. You think because you've got your kind of hair and your kind of eyes and mouth and the rest of it, you can hide all your lies and greedy ideas behind them and put a leash on any man you see. Well, it might work with a human being, but I'm not human. I'm an insurance investigator. What are you going to do? I'm going to turn you in for murder. That's what I'm going to do. Operator, operator, get on this thing before I change my mind. Mona didn't really turn on the tears until two men from Homicide took her and tucked her into a squad car. And I didn't warm up to my story until the press arrived. In print, in a very early morning edition that hit the stands at 12.01 a.m., it looked even better than it had sounded. Headline, Insurance Investigator Records Confession of Murderess. Lead. Police, late last night, booked Mona Doyle for the murder of Leo Porcina, racket boss. In an exclusive statement, Johnny Dollar, Hartford, said he was able to record the voluntary confession of the shapely knife killer by means of a tape recorder and a microphone concealed beneath a sofa, thus lifting the suspicion from her brother, Glenn Nippy Cochran, who has been sought for the slaying. The wind was dying, and so was I by the time I got back to my hotel after making one stop at an all-night drugstore for expense account item 7, uh, $1.79, adhesive tape, which might be classified as an odd item, since I didn't, as yet, have any broken bones. In my hotel room, I put the tape in the two telephone books, one classified, one general, to what I hoped would be good use, slipped on a dressing gown, and sat down to wait. An hour and ten minutes later, it turned out that I'd waited long enough. Uh, yeah? Who is it? A telegram. Well, you can't say much for his originality. Wait a second. I'll slip on a robe. Okay, Dollar, get back in the room. This is hardly the way to deliver a telegram, is it? I've got a message for you, all right, but it's not in an envelope. I'm Nippy Cochran. Well, hello, Nippy Cochran. That confession you coaxed out of my sister isn't worth the tape it's recorded on. It's fully. The police seem to like it. And nuts. I killed the old porcy now. Oh, that's your story. And it could be phony. Look, I'll tell you why the police like Mona's better. Huh? Leo died from a knife wound in the left part of his chest. There were no signs of a struggle. That means he was probably killed by somebody who just walked up to him and pushed. Someone he trusted, a friend. That doesn't fit you, but it fits your sister. I've got the answer to that. It says in the paper that confession of hers lifted the finger off me. The least I can do is take it off her. And you know how that's done. It's a little late for guesswork, Nippy. I'll be killing the same way with the same knife while she's alibied by the police. That'll clear. What's it going to do to you? And if you get close to me, you can believe me. There's going to be signs of struggle this time. I don't have to get close. See? 
The knife came from the usual place in his collar behind his head. His aim was perfect. I felt the shock just over my heart. But the telephone books I taped to my chest called his number. The knife bounced off, and Nippy stood there with his mouth hanging open. Then I found something to throw. Something I could aim just generally. A chair. Ah! He stumbled back from the impact, and before he could collect his wits or his balance, I let him have a barrage. I should have known. A bail bondsman doesn't know the right people. Expense account item eight. Fifteen dollars. Doctor fee. If it wasn't worth it to you, it was worth it to me to get that adhesive tape off by using alcohol instead of violence. Uh, expense account item nine. Twenty-eight fifty. Replacement of hotel room furniture broken in final brawl. And expense account item 10, if you don't mind, $367.25. See enclosed bar, cafe, and theater receipts. Buying my way back into the favor of the magnificent Mona. Oh, and you may ask me how I was clever enough to know that she was innocent all that time. I didn't. But I could hope, couldn't I? Um, expense account total, original retainer, not returnable, $500.71. Signed, yours, um, truly, Johnny Walker. I mean, dollar. Truly, Johnny Dollar is produced and directed by Gordon T. Hughes and stars Charles Russell. Script by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd. Featured in the cast were Ed Max, Paul Dubov, Sidney Miller, Jim Nusser, and Georgia Ellis. The special music is written and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Be sure to be with us at this same time next week when another unusual expense account is handed in by... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. It's fascinating, it's challenging, it's something unusual in radio fare. Yes, that's what folks are saying about CBS's popular Sunday program, Invitation to Learning. You'll renew old acquaintances in literature, you'll make some exciting new ones when you make a Sunday afternoon listening habit of CBS's Invitation to Learning. Remember the time every Sunday afternoon over most of these CBS stations. Stay tuned now for Vaughn Monroe and his caravan. They follow immediately over most of these CBS stations. Paul Masterson speaking... This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. If you're looking for murder, I know a guy who can get it for you wholesale. This is another in the adventures of America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar, starring Charles Russell. At insurance investigation, Johnny Dollar is only an expert. At making out his expense account, he's an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to West Coast Underwriters, San Francisco Branch, Attention Bradford L. Coates, General Manager. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during my investigation of uh, the little man who wasn't all there, or in most cases, there at all, or the unpaid premium payoff. Expense account item one. Three cents postage due on your airmail special delivery letter containing said assignment. I can just hear you dictating it. Take a letter. To Johnny Dollar, you'll find his address in the files. Dear sir, better make that dear Dollar. Enclosed find copies of letters received by us from one Mr. James Yarbo, period. This man's wife was insured with our company until recently. One day before her death, her period of grace and an unpaid premium ran out. We canceled her policy in the amount of $20,000. Her husband, Yabo, first made every effort to collect, then threatened us. Since then, we've received the enclosed series of letters intimating, without confessing, that he's had a hand in the accidental death of at least 12 of our policyholders to date. The police have been working on it, but are getting nowhere. If you are available, please come immediately. Uh, uh, yours very truly, uh, so far. Expense account, item two, $176.87. Airfare, Hartford to San Francisco. Item three, five forty. Cab fare, airport to your office. Dollar, glad you got him. You've no idea what okay, a mess this whole thing Okay, okay, Mr. Coates, okay, don't get excited. We'll nail this guy before you run out of policyholders. Well, the dozen he's apparently done away with already have cost us darn near quarter of a million. You've got to move fast, Dollar. The man is a homicidal maniac. Yeah, but a smart one, though. He's put just enough in those letters to, he sent you to let you know that he's working on a grand-scale revenge against your company. But he leaves out just enough so the law can't lock him up. He's had perfect alibis in every case. Uh, look, uh, Mr. Coach, tell me, have all these deaths been local right around here? No, they've been all over California. Mm-hmm. Well, one other thing, the method. From this list you gave me, Mr. Yarbo seems to have a preference for killing people through the noisy and gory method of fake automobile accidents. Yes, very true. But what about this last one? Airplane crash. That was a $30,000 loss to us. Uh, just think. Our poor innocent policyholder flying around and then his engine quit. Thanks to a man he's never even seen. Tell me, Mr. Coates, <sighs> just how difficult would it be to get a list of your California policyholders? Names and addresses, you know. Why, that would take days. But goodness gracious, man, you can't hope to keep an eye on them all. Besides, the minute you went off the job, he'd strike again. That's a preposterous Whoa, idea. Cut but... time. 
Look, I don't want the list. I was just wondering how Yarbo got it. Oh. Now, so far you've given me nothing to go on. I'd like you to add two things to that. Yarbo's home address and a $50,000 life insurance policy made out to me. What on earth is that for? Well, look, in the first place, if we're going fishing for Mr. Yarbo, I might as well be the worm. In the second place, if I should get gobbled up in the line of duty, that $50,000 life insurance would make several attractive young ladies of my acquaintance very happy. Not, mind you, as happy as I can make them by remaining alive. Expense account, item four, $30. Rental of limousine complete with chauffeur. I figured if I was riding the trouble, I was riding in style. So I started on a house-to-house survey. You might say, knocking at death's door. Yes? What is it, the police? Oh, I'm sorry to bother you, Mrs. Chianelli, but I'm from the insurance company. Oh, yes. It'll only take a moment. One question about your son. Oh, poor Angelo. What do you want to know about my poor son? He'd drive away in his automobile, that's all. I'll never see him in life again. Yes, I, I know. Uh, tell me, Mrs. Chianelli, did you ever hear your son mention a man named Yarbo? Yarbo? Yeah. Yarbo. I don't know about no such Yarbo. Not please. Please leave me. There was so much sadness in my house. Yes? Uh, Mr. Dykes? Yes? I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm from the insurance company. About your son's plane crash. Oh, I thought all those details had been taken care of. But just one thing, Mr. Dykes. Did your son ever mention a man named Yarbo? Yarbo? Yeah. That's an unusual name. I'm sure if he had, I would have remembered. Okay, sir. I'm sorry to have bothered you. And thanks. Yes, sir. May I help you? Yes, I'd like to have a word with Mrs. Weatherly. I'm from the insurance company. Well, sir, Mrs. Weatherly has been indisposed, not receiving visitors. What is it, Brian? Uh, how do you do, Mrs. Weatherly? My name is Johnny Dollar. Oh, dear, dear. Uh, you may go, Brian. Oh, I'm ashamed to let you see me in this condition, Mr. Dollar. I'm just ashamed. But you understand. I, I do indeed. Oh, it was bad enough. The accident, I mean. But the scandal! Oh! Oh, I'll never be able to hold my head up again. Yes. Uh, no. If Harvey had to get himself in an automobile accident, why, oh, why, I ask you, did he have to have that awful Mrs. Barclay in the car? Hmm? Oh, yes. Yes, it was very unthoughtful of him, yes. uh, Mrs. Weatherly. Would you mind answering one question? Well, if I can. Did your husband ever mention a man named Yarbo? Well, no. No, he never mentioned a man named Yarbo. But neither did he ever mention Mrs. Barclay. <laughs> I tried a half a dozen of the other beneficiaries left behind by Mr. Yarbo's list of victims. All I got out of it was a very watery afternoon. The tears were falling like monsoon time in Burma. But of information, I got none. 
It's brought me right smack up to a point I didn't want to have to reach. The point of contacting Mr. Yarbo in person. At 8.30 that night, I took a plan on Yarbo's house on Lombard Street. At 11.30, I saw the lights go out, as did Yarbo. He was a little guy, stooped over like he was looking for cigarette butts on the sidewalk, needing a haircut, and through to type, wearing a long black overcoat. But worst of all was the little satchel he was carrying. Items like this always set off a chain reaction in my imagination, and I could just see him on his way to atomizing the Oakland Bay Bridge, thus causing the biggest automobile accident in history. I very cleverly forced my way into the house by breaking a first-floor window, reaching in and opening same. The Cyclops' eye of my flashlight started picking up information on the subject of Mr. Yarbo immediately. The room I had entered looked like the Hobby Lobby of an English Bobby, a crime museum if I ever saw one. On one wall, a gun case. On another, a crime library. And scattered around the room, a grisly collection, ranging from blood-stained hatchets to shrunken heads. But the most surprising criminal curio of all stood right behind me. <laughs> Mr. Yarbo, complete with little black bag. Well, well, I must say, the current second-story man dresses well, but I must also say you, my man, must have the old masters of the art turning in their graves. For you, young man, are a heavy-fingered bungler. Sure, let's have a better look at you. Now, that flashlight, I'll feel better after you've dropped it. Hey, what am I doing? You're not even pointing a gun at me. Don't feel too comfortable. You are well covered from many points. A step from you in any direction may detonate any number of explosive devices. Uh, why did I pick this joint to burgle? I feel like a city councilman playing a call in the White House. You seem more the kind of a guy I should be working for instead of on. What's your racket? Racket? Yeah. You were in a racket, my little friend. My pastime is a science. Yes, I've, I take it you are impressed with my collection. Uh, well, uh, who, who wouldn't be? Well, if you're interested, come here. Uh, about those booby traps. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Note well the design of the rug. The large roses. Avoid stepping on them. For the time being. Oh, great. And I was in here stumbling around in the dark. May your good luck continue. But look, look here in this case, the small vial on the right. That was purloined for me to order from the famous Black Museum in Scotland Yard. That little vial once rested in the case of the fabulous murderer, Dr. Crippen. And there, beside it, that lock of hair. Mm -hmm. That is from the head of the second victim of the noted mass murderer, Neil Cream. And up there, look up there, the hangman's noose over the mantle from that one swung the body of the notorious western bad woman, Fanny Turner. Oh, uh, how's chances for running this place for Halloween? Uh, well, well, all right then, since you no longer seem interested in playing the part of a bungling burglar, then I assume that I am also free to discontinue my pose as a victim of your disguise, Mr. Johnny Dollar. Oh, ah, looks like the chips are down and I'm the fish. Yes. And there are a lot of other fish in your sea, Mr. Dollar. Poison eels, that's what you are, the lot of you. Parasites, gambling on death, and then not paying when you lose. Uh, listen, Mr. Yarbo, you're placing a big hunk of blame where it doesn't belong. You're confused about that. Confused? Yes. When your wife's insurance premium was overdue, you were allowed a 30-day period of grace. And when that went by, the policy was canceled. 
Now, that's not the insurance company's fault. It was your fault. But it wasn't. I gave her the money. She spent it on herself. I'd have made it up. I told them so after she died. I told them, but they wouldn't listen. I'll show you. I'll show you. The Arbo looked like he was headed to show me the chopping end of an axe laying on top of a small table. I hit him just as he hit the table. As he hit the floor, I noticed what I was standing on. One of those big red roses in the carpet. It hadn't exploded yet, but that was one flower I wasn't standing around waiting to see bloom. It took a lot of nerve picking up a telephone in that room. But I finally got a good hold on my nerves and a fair hold on an imitation of Yarbo's voice. Took one deep breath and picked up the phone. Yes? Hello, James. This is Martha. I'm at the office. I have good news. Two more. Mr. and Mrs. Granville Morse. Killed tonight on the Great Highway. Two miles south of Seal Rock. 8.45 tonight. Ran into a post. Both killed. Insured for a total of 80000 I gotta go now. Goodbye, James. Well, congratulations, Brother Yarbo. Two more at 8.45 tonight. And who's your new alibi? Me. In just a moment, we'll return to the second act of Johnny Dollar. But first, did you ever think of and as a comedy word? Maybe not, but you'll get a full demonstration on CBS this Wednesday night. There'll be Groucho Marx and his guest on that hilarious quiz, You Bet Your Life. For it's the guests who sometimes floor Groucho with their wisecracks. There'll be Bing Crosby in his regular Wednesday night CBS show and his special guest, Bob Hope. There'll be George Burns and Gracie Allen and Bill Goodwin. And, and becomes more filled with comedy when you tell or learn that Lum and Abner will have their premiere as Wednesday night regulars on most of these same CBS stations. Yes, this fall, you hear them all on C and B and S. Now, with our star, Charles Russell, we return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Yarbo might have been lying unconscious on the floor, but in that setting, I was still afraid of him. I'd have looked the place over with a fine tooth comb, only having none. I used my hands. I put the pat test to Yarbo's pockets for a gun. He was unloaded. Then turned my attention to the little black bag he'd been carrying when I saw him leave the house, and which he still had with him when he returned. I hoped it wasn't booby-trapped. Opened it and discovered that it was a trap, the type my kind of booby stepped into. Inside the bag was a small radio receiver tuned to something I looked for and found in the room. A small radio transmitter of the type formerly used in army tanks. Through this, Yarbo had heard me enter his little museum of murder and had returned to catch me in the act of prowling the premises. About then, I caught him in the act of coming to. Well, welcome home, Yarbo. Time to get up. I just had a long chat on the phone with Martha. She thought I was you. You think you're very clever, don't you? Martha knows my voice. If she talked to you at all, she didn't tell you anything. Of that I am sure. So save your breath. 
There is no use your telling me she gave you any information. Oh, no, you got me wrong, pal. I only told you Martha called to let you know I know there is a Martha. I figured it might make you nervous. And nervous men are easy to beat. Other nervous men may be easy to beat, Dollar, but not James Yarbo. The police have tried and they couldn't prove a thing against me. Now, may I have your permission to get up? Yeah. Maybe the police haven't been able to get anything on you, but I have something. Attempted murder. The hatchet you went for. <laughs> the pitiful mistake of a pitifully suspicious mind, Dollar. I wasn't reaching for that hatchet on the table. I was trying to show you something in the table drawer. There it is, spilled out on the floor. My wife's insurance policy. The one your unscrupulous thieving superiors refused to pay. The vampires. Here, look at it. All in order. Much of it in fine print. Fine, just fine. <laughs> okay, Yarbo, that did it. Come on, ahead of me. Uh, where are we going? To find some place to lock you up. I was hired to stop you, and until I do, I'm at least going to try and slow you down. Now move. Uh, Linen closet. No room here. Come on. Uh, bathroom. No window. Yeah, this will do. Go on, get in there. No, 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 not in here. Anywhere but in here. It's a good place. You may get thirsty. No, no, no. This is where my wife died. Not in here. No. Which, on the surface, may seem to have been a move on the cruel side. But Yarbo was a man obviously off his rocker, and I needed him more nervous than I already had him. Too nervous to attempt killing any more people. Expense account item five, a nickel. Phone call, downtown office, state police. A Mr. and Mrs. Granville Morse had indeed crashed to their death on the great highway south of Seal Rock at 845, which made the lady with the early telephone news flash, Martha, a gal with whom I wanted an early date. Come on, come on, answer the phone. Hello? Uh, what is it? Hello, Mr. Coates. This is Dollar. Uh, oh, yes, Dollar. What do you want? Well, first I want to tell you that you just lost two more policyholders. List price, 80000 Oh, good Lord. This is terrible. Who, how, what... Never mind that. I've also got something else. On the good side, I need your help tonight. Uh, of course. Anything. What can I do? Meet me at your office. You and I are going to go looking for a dame named Martha. Martha? Martha who? I don't know. But I hope she works for you. I'll be there in a half hour. Make that 20 minutes and you'll be 10 minutes closer to happy days. The office personnel records of the West Coast underwriters turned up not one, but three employees named Martha, which gave me three choices as to who had been supplying Yarbo with a list of West Coast policy, insurance, policy holders. Finding the exact Martha was even easier. On the phone, she had told me that she was calling from the office. And the night elevator operator's in-and-out book showed the signature of one Martha Kinsey. And I just couldn't wait to hear her report. Who is it? I've got a message from Mr. Yarbo. Oh, just a minute. Message from James? Oh, what does he want? 
Well, what he really wants is to get out of the bathroom. That's why I've got him locked up. Who are you? You ought to know who I am. I assume you're the one that told Yarbo he could be expecting a call from an insurance investigator named Dollar. Well, that's me. Well, I don't care. James told me girls give out lists of names all the time, sell them for mailing lists, ten cents apiece. May not be ethical, but it's not against the law. James told me, and I believe James. Oh, he's the smartest man I ever knew. He may be the smartest, but he's right in line to be numbered among the deadest. One of these fine mornings, the state is going to give him a cyanide egg for breakfast. What do you mean? You should know. Murder, execution, gas chamber. Well, you can't prove a thing. James told me so, and he knows. Well, he's smart. I hope he's not smart enough to pick a lock with a bath mat. Now, come on, sit down. You and I are going to have a nice, long talk. We are not. I won't say a thing. I don't have to, unless you have a warrant, an indictment, and a court reporter. James told me so. Yeah, I know. He's smart. But no matter what he told you, you're going to tell me a few things. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. So, I was wrong. Martha didn't tell me anything. But her stubborn attitude did. She was in love with Mr. Yarbo, a stupid middle-aged woman having her last fling at romance, doing her best to keep her last chance alive in the person of the man who had made her his partner in crime. As crazy as it was, this grotesque pair of lovebirds created the only real emotion in the case to date and switched my thoughts from the widely scattered deaths which had brought me into the case and over to the single death of Yarbo's wife, Enclosed, find a transcript of statement made to me at 2 o'clock in the morning by the doctor who signed Mrs. Yarbo's death certificate. Cause of death, cerebral hemorrhage, result of severe fracture of skull, region medulla oblongata, contributing factors, woman bathing in bathtub at home, slipped and fell, striking head on shower spigot. Gone is finding death due to misadventure. Accidental. It took the doctor two minutes to get around to making that statement. I figured it would take Martha at least 30 minutes to get her hair out of her curlers and make herself presentable enough to risk being seen on the street. That left me 28 minutes to get back to Yarbo's house before she did, and I didn't need half that long. In a cab on my way over, I took inventory. One, to date, Yarbo's alibis covering him on all the so-called revenge murders had been perfect, too perfect. Second, when I first faced Yarbo, he screamed about his wife's death, not in the light of having lost his lady love, but in the light of having lost her insurance money. Just as my third and most important conclusion came upon me, the taxi came upon our destination, and I had to go to work. Once inside the little horror house on Lombard Street, I got set for a long search. But it turned out to be a short one, and it proved two things. Yarbo was not only a murderer, he was as crazy as he'd acted in having kept the evidence around. Okay, Yarbo, come on out. Well, I hope you have enjoyed your waste of time, Mr. Dollar, as I've enjoyed my chance for meditation. You saw Martha, I suppose? Yes, I saw Martha. Bless her silent little soul. Yes, I was sure of Martha. She believes in me. Uh, you can say that again. Come on out here. Mr. Dollar, I suppose you are aware that this is the second time tonight you have been guilty of breaking and entering. I am, however, willing to forgive that should you come to your senses and decide to go back to Hartford and leave me alone. Uh-uh. Oh. Mm. Um, mind treading on the roses in the rug, Mr. Dollar? So 
sorry, Yarbrough. I fell for that gag earlier tonight. People who smiled at that joke give me the last laugh. Now, look, Yarbrough, I know exactly what you've been up to, and I know why you've done it. But your little war of nerves has got to stop. It will never stop. No one can prove anything against me. I can. I can prove that you haven't done a thing to bring about those accidental deaths you've been taking credit for. Martha has sat down that insurance office, office and notified you every time there's been an accidental death of a policyholder in this part of the country. Then you've written the company your little letters and gotten your little kicks out of it, right? That's a lie, lie, lie. This is a switch, a guy yelling that loud that he's guilty. You'll have to prove it. You will have to prove it. Don't worry, chum. I'm not going to waste a breath proving murders that you didn't commit. But, brother, I'm really going to go to town on the one that you did. Your wife, Mr. Yarbo. That is the most ridiculous statement you have yet made, young man. Look around you. Take note. I have profited by all the mistakes made by the original owners of these bloody souvenirs from Dr. Crippen on down. You see in me the living composite of them all. And I intend to stay that way. Alive. I'm afraid you will, but it's going to be inside an upholstered room. And this is what will put you there. Yeah, Mr. Yarbo, you carried your little hobby of crime souvenirs too far when you saved this hunk of pipe and the faucet with which you clubbed your wife to death. She slipped and fell. She was in the tub. I'm sure the police microscopes can give you a strong argument on that one. Now, come on. And let's make it easy on each other, shall we? No, no, I didn't do it. I I didn't do it. Let go. Let go of me. You'll have to prove it. Help me, Martha. Help me. Hit him with something. I'd have bet on myself against the two of them if I didn't have to fight while playing hopscotch over those roses in the carpet, about which I still wasn't quite sure. It was touch and go. Martha would try to touch the back of my head with something, and I'd go. Do something, Martha. Do something. I'll fix him. I'll fix him. Something Martha tried to do was pick up a heavy-based urn and aim it at me. She missed started to roll across the rosy carpet. When Yarbo saw where it was headed, he wrenched himself loose and dove the carpet. I dove the other way. He got there just too late. I didn't have to look twice to know he was dead. Fate had called James Yarbo up on his own carpet. When Martha threw that urn at me, it had rolled straight for the only rose in the rug that had been booby-trapped. Which only goes to prove that sometimes a rose by any other name can be anything but sweet. Expense accounts, item six. A dollar and 40 cents. Three month subscription, Love Life magazine. Sent to accessory to murder, Martha Kinsey, to Hatchaby State Prison. I figured three months was about all she had, the judges and juries in California being rather efficient that way. Expense account, uh, item seven. Six bucks. Dinner and diving for pearls in a barrel of blue points at Fisherman's Wharf. Diving for pearls earring, which she lost while bending over the barrel trying to see what oysters looked like. Uh, item eight, $176.87. Airfare, San Francisco to Hartford. Uh, expense account total, $942.08. Not including defense lawyer fees if you decide to sue me for not being able to add correctly. 
Signed, yours, uh, truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Gordon T. Hughes and stars Charles Russell. Script by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd. Featured in the cast were Jay Novello, Martha Wentworth, Paul Dubois, Gigi Pearson, and Larry Dobkin. The special music is written and conducted by Wilbur Hatt. Be sure to be with us at this same time next week when another unusual expense account is handed in by yours truly, Johnny Dollar. That wraps it up for tonight's show at 1001 Radio Grime Solvers. We really enjoy good reviews, so when you have a chance, say something nice about a selection of shows, or maybe suggest some to us. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.